Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast, where we explore the life and times of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur and delve into the history of World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. The Land Battle of Manila and the Origins of the Philippine-American War General Arthur MacArthur, the father of Douglas MacArthur, traveled to the Philippines in the summer of 1898 and took part in one of the most interesting battles of the Spanish-American War, the Land Battle of Manila. The United States' victory there signified the transition of the Philippines from a Spanish colony to an American territory, and it ultimately set the stage for the Philippine-American War. In the late 1800s, the Spanish Empire was on the decline. It had already lost many of its colonies and was struggling to hold on to the few possessions still under its control, particularly the Philippine Islands and Cuba. As Spain struggled, the United States was rising as a world power. The United States had expanded into the American West and was becoming more and more involved in global markets. Although most Americans were opposed to imperialism, commercial interests would lead American citizens to become more invested in territories farther afield. This created a domino effect of sorts. As commercial interests increased, U.S. government and U.S. military involvement in many of these areas increased as well, since Washington sought to protect the private investment of its citizens. Cuba was of particular interest because of coffee and sugarcane. American businessmen soon came to dominate these industries, and while they did not want to colonize Cuba, they did expect the U.S. government to protect their business interests there. At the same time, the Philippines became more vital to U.S. commercial and military strategies as an important crossroads for the East Asian trade. In 1895 and 1896, revolutions against Spanish rule erupted in Cuba and the Philippines. These revolutions threatened to destabilize Spain's ability to control its empire and concurrently American commercial interests. In January 1898, massive riots broke out in Havana, and U.S. President William McKinley responded by deploying the USS Maine to the port city to protect American business interests there. On February 15th, the Maine exploded in the harbor, killing 266 sailors. Although the explosion was an accident, the American press collectively pointed its finger at Spain and called for war. Before war was even declared, Assistant Secretary of the Navy Theodore Roosevelt ordered Commodore George Dewey to prepare his Asiatic squadron for an attack on the Philippines. About a month later, on April 25, 1898, the United States declared war on Spain, and on May 1st, Dewey overwhelmingly defeated the Spanish Navy at Manila Bay. Immediately after receiving news of Dewey's victory, the War Department began preparing for the land assault on Manila. Promoted to Rear Admiral on May 7th, Dewey informed the Secretary of the Navy, John D. Long, that he believed an estimated 10,000 Spanish troops occupied the island. This small army, Dewey reported, faced roughly 30,000 Filipino rebels, and he believed that only a well-equipped force of 5,000 men would be required to defeat the Spanish force there. However, under orders from Washington, Major General Wesley Merritt recruited 8,900 officers and men for the 8th Army Corps to invade the Philippines, roughly 4,000 more than what Dewey had requested. From the Filipinos' perspective, this was an occupying force. Immediately, Merritt went to work in organizing his corps. Brigadier General L.S.S. Otis received a promotion to Major General on May 4th and was assigned second-in-command under Merritt. Major General Thomas Anderson's first expeditionary force, consisting of 2,500 men, was created immediately and departed on May 25th for the Philippines. On June 13th, Merritt, Otis, and Brigadier Generals Arthur MacArthur Jr., Charlie King, and Francis V. Green convened in San Francisco to go over their new assignments. Green was given charge of the second expeditionary force, consisting of 3,600 men, which would depart in mid-June, and King received command of the third expeditionary force, which would depart at the end of the month. 
Otis and MacArthur were initially given charge of the 4th Expeditionary Force, which would leave in July. MacArthur, disappointed with this assignment, successfully persuaded Merritt to give him command of a brigade in the 3rd Expeditionary Force. Green left for Hawaii on June 15th, and 12 days later, MacArthur and the 3rd Expeditionary Force departed on June 27th. Green later remarked of the Philippine expedition that it was the most novel and in some respects the most interesting enterprise in which the United States troops were ever engaged. Anderson's 1st Expeditionary Force landed in Cavite on June 30th after Emilio Aguinaldo and his army of Filipino nationalists had surrounded the city. Since 1896, Aguinaldo had been fighting the Spanish forces in Manila and Cavite, and he quickly emerged as the revolution's leader. However, after being forced into hiding, Aguinaldo reached an agreement with the Spanish governor-general in 1897, and he voluntarily went into exile in Hong Kong. There, he and other revolutionaries continued planning for their return in the overthrow of Spanish rule. After the Spanish-American War began, Dewey helped transport Aguinaldo back to the Philippines to lead the Filipino revolutionaries on the ground against the Spanish army. While at first grateful to the United States' assistance, Aguinaldo voiced his displeasure at the alarming number of American soldiers landing, who he believed intended to deprive him of the fruits of his previous victories. U.S.-Filipino relations devolved quickly after the initial encounters between Anderson and Aguinaldo, and by the end of July, when the rest of the 8th Army Corps arrived, Meredith and Anderson, in numerous reports to the War Department, had fully expressed their concern that Aguinaldo and the Filipino nationalists would potentially aim their weapons at the U.S. military. The McKinley administration ordered Merritt and Anderson to avoid any cooperation with Aguinaldo. Upon Merritt's arrival on July 26th, Dewey informed him that the situation in Manila was most critical and that Spain might surrender at any moment. Spain at this point knew it had all but lost the war, and morale among the Spanish citizens in the city was extremely low. Dewey was more concerned with avoiding loss of life, both American and Spanish, and he and Merritt agreed that the 30,000 Filipino insurgents surrounding the city should have no part in forcing Spain's surrender. The reason for this, according to historian David F. Trask, was President William McKinley's desire to maintain firm control over future developments in the Philippines. The real conflict, then, was not between the United States and Spain, but between the 8th Army Corps and the Filipino nationalists. General Merritt proceeded with the landings on the night of the 29th, and his men formed a line directly opposite of the Spanish defenders in order to prepare for the final assault. However, the attack was postponed because the 3rd Expeditionary Force experienced difficult weather when trying to land, and it ultimately took MacArthur an entire week to get all his men ashore. Meanwhile, American soldiers on the front line between July 30th and August 7th encountered sporadic nightly rifle and artillery fire from their Spanish counterparts. Green noted, however, that these were unimportant skirmishes. Though Merritt, on multiple occasions, requested naval gunfire from Dewey's ships in order to soften the enemy's position, Dewey maintained that order of the Spanish garrison could be negotiated rather than forced. Moreover, a premature attack on the Spanish garrison without the full force of the Corps' 8,900 men, while forcing Spain's surrender, could result in the 30,000 Filipino nationalists taking full control of Manila. Even after the arrival on August 4th of the USS Monterey, which had heavy guns that far outranged the outdated Spanish artillery, Dewey continued negotiating surrender with the Spanish Governor-General, Don Fermín Jaudinez. Merritt tried convincing Dewey to bomb the garrison, noting that the Monterey could, without putting its crew in danger, fire on and force the surrender of Manila. However, Dewey informed the general that this was not desirable at the moment since the Monterey needed some slight repairs to her machinery after traveling 7,000 miles. Instead, 
After MacArthur's forces had landed, Dewey sent an ultimatum to the Spanish governor-general demanding his surrender. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world in Washington, D.C., the Spanish diplomat Praxedes Mateo Segata was negotiating Spain's terms of surrender with U.S. officials, and he ordered the Spanish garrison in Manila to hold off surrender until he had completed these negotiations. On August 9th, Dewey sent another ultimatum, and the Spanish commanders in Manila convened to vote on whether they should surrender. Despite their knowing that they would be defeated in case of an attack by U.S. forces, the commanders, after intense discussion on the matter, voted to hold off surrender. Haldanez, however, sent a secret message to Dewey through the Belgian consul in Manila that he was willing to give up the city if Dewey bombarded one of the abandoned forts. This would give the appearance that the Spanish army was forced to surrender to the United States and not to the Filipino insurgents who had held Manila under siege for three months. Dewey later recalled that it was all arranged and we need not have lost a single man there, but Haldanez was fearful that the Filipinos would get in. Moreover, the Spaniards' strict code of honor did not permit their surrender without a fight, and Haldanez feared that if he attempted to hand over the Spanish garrison to the U.S. military, his own men and officers would turn against him. Haldanez's final reason not to surrender was driven by his racist attitudes toward the Filipinos and his willingness only to surrender to white people. Thus, Dewey later recalled, the American Navy would have to fire on Manila to kill a few people. After the terms of surrender had been established, Dewey informed Haldanez that the generosity of the terms granted would depend on the brevity of his resistance. The battle was to end shortly after it began, and each side was to inflict minimal damage. Meanwhile, the United States and Spain would work together to keep the Filipinos out of Manila. After the terms of surrender had been established, Dewey informed Haldanez that the generosity of the terms granted would depend on the brevity of his resistance. The battle was to end shortly after it began, and each side was to inflict minimal damage. Meanwhile, the United States and Spain would work together to keep the Filipinos out of Manila. On the night of August 12th, Merritt and Dewey went over last-minute preparations for the stage conflict. The next morning, Merritt would board the USF Sefiro and watch the naval bombardment of Fort San Antonio Abad. As soon as he or Dewey observed Spain's raising of the white flag, the U.S. Army and Navy commanders would enter the city with six companies of the 2nd Oregon, which would serve as the occupying force to keep the Filipinos out of the city. That night, Merritt advised his subordinates, MacArthur and Green, that it is intended that these results shall be accomplished without loss of life. If their forces encountered heavy fire from Spain's entrenched lines, the troops would not attempt an advance unless ordered from Merritt's headquarters. Additionally, Merritt gave the orders to prevent the Filipino insurgents at any cost from committing acts of pillage or violence when entering Manila. The city was to be fully under the United States control. On the morning of the 13th, Dewey placed his ships in battle order and bombarded Fort San Antonio Abad slowly for an hour. As was planned and expected, no return fire came from the fort and the shelling ceased at 10 o'clock in the morning. Meanwhile, Anderson, Green, and MacArthur made their last-minute preparations to assault the Spanish entrenchments. Shortly after the naval bombardment ended, the land battle of Manila began. Without taking any casualties, Green swiftly captured Fort San Antonio Abad, which had been abandoned by the Spanish forces before Dewey's bombardment. Anderson encountered some resistance to the north of Malate, where Spanish forces opened fire on his brigade, killing one and wounding 54. The fighting there lasted briefly, and U.S. forces penetrated the line at Malate and advanced toward the city. 
Meanwhile, MacArthur's third expeditionary force, to the right of Green and Anderson, advanced toward Blockhouse Number 14, where it engaged in heavier fighting. However, MacArthur, with years of combat experience under his belt, stayed calm under fire. One private from Company C of the 13th Minnesota Volunteers noted that MacArthur walked up and down the firing line as cool as there ever wasn't a Mauser bullet within a thousand miles. Of course, this intense, yet brief skirmish could hardly compare to the dozens of engagements in which MacArthur partook during the American Civil War. Not long after the sharp fight began, did the 3rd Expeditionary Force achieve its objective and make a subsequent assault onto Blockhouse Number 20. Engaging in lighter combat there, MacArthur quickly forced Spanish retreat and moved through the Paco District into Manila. However, before entering the city, MacArthur left two battalions at Blockhouse Number 20 to prevent the Filipinos from following. The Filipinos considered this to be a hostile act against them. The 3rd Expeditionary Force then found itself taking fire from the Filipinos. And by the end of the conflict, MacArthur's brigade took 43 casualties. Still, MacArthur successfully prevented the Filipino nationalists from entering the city. Meanwhile, in Manila Bay, Dewey gave the international signal, meaning do you surrender, to which Haldanez responded by raising the white flag. That night, the Spanish colors were lowered, and the American standard took its place over the garrison. The second organ began its occupying duties and guarded the walled city, keeping out the Filipino insurgents. The stage conflict for the Spanish and the Americans was successful. The Filipinos, on the other hand, had been deprived of their victory. A few months after the land battle of Manila ended, Spanish and U.S. officials signed the Treaty of Paris on December 10th, which gave Puerto Rico and Guam to the United States and granted Cuba its independence. The United States also bought the Philippines from Spain for $20 million, thus completing the transformation of the Philippines from a Spanish colony to an American territory. This sparked outrage among the Filipino nationalists and the revolutionary government, who on September 29th had ratified the Declaration of Independence issued by Aguinaldo in June. This action was entirely ignored, though, by the U.S. government, which believed that without the United States occupying the Philippines, some other imperial entity would. For the United States, the Spanish-American War, with its quick, cheap victory, was referred to as the Splendid Little War. Peace would prove difficult to achieve, though. The transfer of the Philippines from Spain to the United States sparked outrage among the Filipino nationalists, and the relationship between U.S. occupying forces and the Filipinos devolved rapidly. Had the United States left the Philippines, though, another power would have pounced. But for the Filipinos, this was irrelevant. They felt betrayed by the United States, who had kept them out of Manila and deprived them of their independence. On January 23, 1899, in defiance of U.S. rule, the Filipinos again declared their independence, this time from the United States, and they formed the first Philippine Republic. On February 4, 1899, less than two months after the Treaty of Paris was signed, the Philippine-American War began. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, we want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at MacArthur1880, on Facebook as the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial, or you can email amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.